When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a man, you realize, holy cow, I could really be a rebel without a cause. And it wasn't long when I started looking at my dad differently, directly after that realization. When that epiphany came, I'm like, wow, he stayed in hard. <laughs> like, he stayed in the pocket, right? And now, like, I'm someone with, like, a lot of options in the way that I've chosen to live my life and the way that God has blessed it. That, like, I'm like, wow, what is it that you gain from going where the suffering is? What is it that you gain by taking on a large amount of a responsibility and how how does that affect your personal development and development of your society and the people around you? Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. Hey, Raman. Hey, Sharon. Happy Father's Day. Thanks, I guess. You don't sound too excited. I, I think it's one of those feeling getting older things. Father's Day is supposed to be about my dad, not me. I'm pretty sure your kids would disagree with that. Oh, plural. <laughs> so uh, so what are we going to do this time? Are we just going to play clips from past guest dads? Well, that was our Mother's Day episode, which if you guys missed it, you should definitely check out. But I'm pretty sure you don't have the editing bandwidth to do that again anymore. I have no idea what you mean. I am a diaper changing pro the second time around. But I do think it was easier to get no sleep when I was younger the first go round. Having two kids is like having five. And everyone told me that, but I didn't know it until I had my second kid. So exponentially harder. It is much harder, but you're going to make it work. And two kids is a lot more fun eventually once once the whole diapers <laughs> thing goes away. Underline eventually. <laughs> so Abite, what are we doing for this Father's Day episode? Well, we thought, I thought it might be fun to talk to a few different dads about their fatherhood experience. Okay. Okay. Who do we got? Who do we got? Well, we've got you and you're the Indian American dad with Two half-Chinese, half-Indian kids. I would neither confirm nor deny such statements, but I am not that interesting, Sharon. And I think most of the folks who listen to this show have already heard about my hilarious attempts at fatherhood or stories about my dad on this podcast. So we got to up our game. We got to get some significantly cooler parents than me, or this is going to be one of our most boring episodes ever. I couldn't agree with that more. So because of that, (laughs) we've invited other folks. Hi, Brad. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to have you. Brad is a friend of a friend of the podcast and happens to be a gay dad living in New York City. Welcome to Modern Minorities. Thrilled to be here. 
Hmm. Okay. Okay. Brad, you seem pretty cool, but I think we need at least one more person on the pod. I got an idea. I hear, Sharon, that you have a roommate that happens to be a dad. Oh, he's more than a roommate, Roman. <laughs> Hi, Serge. This is really hard to play along with. <laughs> <laughs> this is who wrote this shit? <laughs> all right, all right. I am so excited to finally have Sharon's better half on the podcast, Serge Tony. Serge, thank you for coming on Modern Minorities. Oh, it's uh, my pleasure. You guys are uh, putting money in my pocket. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So, are we getting paid for this? <laughs> eventually, eventually, when when we're all famous. So, Roman, okay. has has it been a ploy the whole time, whole time just to try to get my husband on this podcast? Yeah, Sharon, you're fired. Serge and I are going to start like an indie podcast fanfic about the hit kung fu TV series Warrior. Oh, my God. We're still talking about Warrior. It's been like five months now at this point. <laughs> Okay, so how does this work? Am I supposed to just ask you guys questions about fatherhood? You ask that like you and I know what we're doing, Sharon. This is this is you, man. Yeah, I'm a guest. Yeah. I'm the guest okay. now. So I guess I guess I'm in charge because I'm not the dad. So you guys, I have a question for you. What's one of the one of your first memories of your dads? Wait, wait, Sharon. Actually, I want you to answer that one because because I have a dad. I, you have a dad. I've heard. Yeah. yeah. And he actually happens to be in my house at this moment as well. Where is he? <laughs> we should have gotten him on the podcast. I didn't even think about that. My One of my first memories of my dad, I always, my dad was always uh, the photographer wherever we went. So he always had a camera in his hand. And this was way before digital cameras. It was even before Polaroids, really. And he had this just old, I guess at the time, like a, like a Canon camera that with, with the lens that you would have to manually adjust everywhere. So he'd be at all of my school plays or dance recitals or birthday parties, but he would kind of always be the guy off to the side as well, taking pictures. And even to this day, whenever we're together, it's like, we've got to take a picture together. He's always usually the one to initiate it. And one thing I always kind of recall about him was how excited he'd get from coming back with the film having been developed because back in those days you'd have to drop it off at a photo developing place and wait for the wait for the film to, to actually come back and so he'd always come back with these pictures and of all of us either playing in the park or or doing something uh, really fun together that's one of my one of my first memories but you know what I've noticed I, I play the role of photographer too Brad Serge, I don't know about you guys but like I'm not in a lot of pictures. <laughs> if you look at right. the the shared albums, like my wife takes one picture on her iPhone. So one in a hundred, there's, there's dad. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, a- I'm very similar. If you scroll through my photos, my husband's photos, it's, it's like I'm an absent member of the family, but hundreds and hundreds of everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And Serge is usually the one in the photos in our family, right? Serge. Well, I don't want to jump right into the political, but I like to show people what a black dad's supposed to look like every chance I get. <laughs> well, I, I think that's a serious statement. Like, what, what do you mean by that? What is what is being a black dad? I'll buy, like, what does that mean? Like, or what should that mean? Or what should showing that mean, Serge? I mean, I try to exemplify American excellence. Yeah. Where I go, and there are not a lot of examples thereof. 
from yeah. you know, a corner of the world. And it's important in like a community where so many kids are being raised without fathers at all that like in their mind's eye that they have some sort of idea or at least watch a man created on the fly and, and, and kind of emancipate their ability to create an alternative that doesn't have them in jail shot dead on the street it's it's a weird thing in the black community and like so i i take that responsibility seriously which also connects to my vanity because i'm good at taking pictures <laughs> you're good at be having your picture taken serge I can, I can say that's why we had to turn the cameras off it was too distracting for me right right well i think that's an interesting point and i i, I want to toss it to the other two dads here too all of all of you guys here are in some ways a minority dad, right? So how do you think being a dad that's not quite the majority affects how you parent or how you want to present yourselves to your children? I think for me, I, I've sort of evolved being a dad over the last few years. So I have a almost eight-year-old and now I have a two-month-old. So the strategies that I've employed eight years ago seem to be a little bit different I think yeah. the strategies I employ now. Uh, because of what the world was like eight years ago? Kind of, kind okay. of. And, and and not to be political about it, but... Please, you know, we. we <laughs> yeah, we we're felt, allowed to be. We felt very seriously about bringing in kids during the two administrations that we brought kids into. And that was the second time around by stroke of chance that the election went the way that we wanted it to go. But the world in between was a very different place. And as gay dads, I think eight years ago, our posture was often defensive. We would go out and the three of us would be out and you'd be batting away the questions about where's the mom. And so we just framed everything out of the gate in a certain way. We would try and get ahead of the the critique and the commentary. And by the way, not mean-spirited most of the right. time, just genuinely confused. And I think in the intervening eight years, that's changed and I've changed, right? Like I'm unabashedly a proud gay dad. I strap my son in the baby Bjorn. I have got my daughter and her backpack walking from the bus stop and my husband holding my hand. And I know that people look and I know that people have thoughts and commentary, but I just don't have the bandwidth to address that in the way that I did eight years ago. Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of like what Serge said though. You know, it's, uh, this is, this is the world. This is, this is what family looks like. It's always looked like, right? And it better start looking like, I think. I think that there's a perception that a family is broken if it doesn't have all the identical parts to it. And I think that's a real problem. And so I'm not a political person myself, but if my family helps make a statement that pushes it in that direction, I I feel good about that. Well, I think any, be it interracial marriage, gay parenting, et cetera, the one, I have a lot of beliefs, but one, it's like, dude, like, I think it's hard to be a single parent. And why wouldn't you have two parents if you can't? Like, and so much respect to single parents out there, but that's a harder job than the one my wife and I have, right? Like, and so I kind of don't care as long as two people love the kid. That's all that matters because, <laughs> and again, I'm, I'm about to learn this, like two on one or, or two on two. You don't want to be outnumbered or maybe you do, but you better have as, as many strong numbers on team parent as you can, I say. Yeah. Have you all had ever had to have conversations yet with your children about being in a non-traditional family unit, whether that be because of race or 
or sexuality? I think I, I think it, that that question leans harder on sexuality more than race, doesn't it? Like, I don't know, Serge. What do you think? Like, I mean, I don't feel like people. I had a girlfriend way back in the day who was white, and we talked about kids, and she said, "I don't want to be walking in the mall and have people not identify me as the mother to this kid." But I don't know. I mean, my daughter is a weird shade of brown, as is my wife and I. She doesn't. She's kind of. When my daughter's next to me, she's lighter than me. But when she's next to her mom, she's darker than her mom. Well, I don't think anyone's ever commented on that. So I don't, I don't think I've, the race thing does it as much. I've been mistaken as the nanny before. So my wow. kids oh, wow. my kids present a little more black than Asian, even though I'm pretty tan for an Asian. And literally, I had a parent in our preschool do a double take when I had identi- like when I had explained to her that I was his mom. Like I think I said something about – like we were just having a conversation. And she was like, oh, I thought – and she was about to say it. Like I could recognize that in her eyes that she was about to say that I was the nanny and she stopped herself. And and it was kind of shocking for me because I had never, my kids are my kids and I'm me. Like to me, they look very much like me because they have my nose or my toes or whatever it might be. But that was kind of the first moment that I even recognize that other people might look at us and, and not think that one of us, either myself or Serge, wasn't actually the biological parent of our children. You guys are hilarious. You guys are <laughs> talking about parenting and avoiding microaggressions. My kids start the day on Saturday with boxing lessons from a boxing pro, right? Yeah. An ex-pro. My kids go to Taekwondo six, seven days a week. My kids will be firearm trained ASAP because we ain't worried about no fucking microaggressions, man. I'm not trying, we're talking about not getting shot in the street. That's black dad. So I don't yeah. know what the fuck mm-hmm. y'all fuck what y'all talking about. <laughs> well, no, you know, I, I ain't gonna lie, Serge. No. I've thought about this no. as a no man. If we're gonna talk, we gotta talk about things that matter. You know, and everything matters, but like life first. Yeah. As a father to a daughter, I will one thousand percent agree with you. Because like martial arts is the thing my and yeah, there's the heritage play for martial arts, but it's just like Yeah, like I, I think about that a lot. I really do. And it's not the same. My daughter is not black in America, but she is a woman in Western society. And even though yeah. Western society might be a little bit more woke than other parts of this world that we live in, I it's the thing that it, I, I used to have this joke when we found out we were having a daughter and I would make the joke. I was like, yeah, I think my, my stance on gun ownership has changed. Like, mm. and I was joking and I'm, I'm joking and I'm not, but like at the same time, I, I'm joking, but like, yeah, I, I just, I know what assholes men can be and, uh, or people can be to be very clear. And I, and I don't like my daughter being on the receiving end of that. And maybe that's a little misogynistic, but I, I yeah, that's actually I, not the same thing at all, but yeah, that's I, fair. I get you. I get you. But it's it's the defense of my child. Sorry, right. that's that's where right. it's coming from. It's teaching her self. Def- it's it's making sure that she's armed with self defense at the very least, right? So she can she can handle any situation that might put her in danger. Yeah. Can I ask you guys a lighter question? <laughs> <laughs> what is your What's your favorite part about being a dad? I, my favorite part about being a dad, it's not exactly my proudest awareness, but my favorite part right now, it evolves, has to do with you. 
because me oh on and many different levels like you and i have come to different peaks of respect you know what i mean and like when in high school you kind of respected my social status and like when we reconnected like there are a lot of things i assumed that you appreciated about me i, I I appreciated all sorts of shit. But when you became a mom, I appreciated you differently and in a deeper fashion and on a uniquely human level. And like, that's something that changed me as a person. My favorite part about being a dad is watching you get impressed by how good of a dad I am. <laughs> that, that, that turns me on. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I mean, so like there's, I mean, maybe it's the performer in me. Right. But there's how I feel about me taking care of my genetic material, the people I love. It's also like how they feel in receiving good dadding. But then there's a performance aspect, the audience. Like I watch you, watch me, watching you, watch me. It's fresh. Right. And I think that that intimacy is a a uniquely familial experience. And I, I dig it. Yeah. I've heard that a lot when my, my own friends have had kids, they look at their partner with a fresh set of eyes or you kind of just fall in love with that person all over again. Yeah. yeah. And your father's here now. So like sometimes you just assume that it's like, all right, captive audience. I'm assuming Sharon likes me, but your dad's here and, your dad, <laughs> and your father-in-law has no reason to cut me any slack. He's my father-in-law, but he's been impressed with my daddy. So now I know that, that I'm, I'm cooking with grease. You know? That you've got good dadding. Yeah. 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 You're an you're ace dad. I had, I had a good dad. It's Father's Day is supposed to be about, like Raman said, like it's supposed to be my, about your dad. And like I had an awesome dad. I had a dad with a couple graduate degrees and he traveled here from Haiti and immigrated and like went, like took care of a woman for like decades, like solid, 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 solid dude. So like I can only, I gave my son his name. So like I, I can only do him honor by doing the best at that. And like it's a new, it's a, a great new hobby. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a great new hobby. It's something else to be good at. And that's again uh, goes back to setting an example for what people don't see. And like in and being like a cisgender dad, dad in like this environment requires a level of sensitivity that requires a master's in fine arts. Yeah. How about you, Brad? What's your What's your favorite part about being a dad? It's a, it's a really good question. I think for me, I yeah, I have I have nieces and, and nephews who are who are older than than my child, and they're great kids. And I, I credit my my brother and his wife with having raised really really solid kids. But being around them as they were growing up, I saw a lot of kids that were, to be perfectly honest, asshole kids. Like they're yeah. just mm-hmm. not kind and they they have something that's hardwired in them or or comes maybe from their own parenting that makes them in my opinion just sort of less than what a kid should be and what we expect from kids right I, i think it's appropriate to expect a certain amount from kids when it's age appropriate so i think for me the thing that makes me proudest is that my my daughter is widely believed to be incredibly, incredibly kind. And and I've literally never heard another kid or a teacher or a caregiver say anything other than that. And it just fills me with tremendous pride. And it's sort of gets to Serge, what you were saying, I, I credit my husband with that as much as I credit myself and the community that we've built. And it's just, it's really, really heartwarming to not raise an asshole child, which is, it's not an easy thing to do. I, I say I have actually said that so many times. Like the only goal I have is 
I mean, there are many, but like with my daughter, I don't want to raise an asshole. Like she doesn't have to be the smartest. She doesn't have to be the fastest. Those are all great things. And I will help her with those things. Right. But be a good person. And it's the hard, this is the hardest job. I, I don't know if it's the hardest. It dep- this is the most important job. Like the stakes of this job. You said you talked about like genetic material. Yeah. Like this is the propagation of the species and what my family line and my wife's family line will contribute to this world. And you learn every day that they're observing you, they're mimicking your behavior. And I'm like, okay, this is like, I have to do the best job of my life at this thing. The other stuff, the startups, the podcast matter significantly less. Do I want to make the world better for her? But then the other thing that I've really enjoyed is every day, I feel like I realize something about my dad. Like at this, it's like when I do something and I have some revelation of father, I'm like, oh shit, my dad did that. Oh, or my mom did that. Or, And I'm just like, and there's so many things that I'm about to discover that they've already discovered and, and been through. And just kind of knowing I'm walking in other people's shoes to a degree, like I'm not the first person who's done this, nor will I be the last. But all that matters, I think, as Tolstoy said, is like who you are now in this moment. It's so interesting to me because as a gay man, I, I think what you would hear if you talk to a lot of gay men is that they grew up having a much closer relationship with their mother to the extent that both a mother and a father were in the picture. And I was very much the same. I had a, a perfectly fine relationship with my dad. He's a great guy, but it was always me and my mom and it was always my brother and my dad. And it was just this sort of natural pairing off that happened, which later in life, I could identify that that had to do with my sexuality and how I felt and how I how I probably knew even when I was a kid that the, the process of coming out to my parents was going to be much easier for my mother than my father. And so by dint of that, I gravitated towards her. Now, as an adult a father myself, I just respect my father in ways that I I didn't at the time. I, I wish I had. I wish I had given him more credit for, for his potential to be a good dad to a little gay boy. But we evolve. And I think the fact that I've been able to acknowledge my weaknesses in how I treated him as a father will ultimately make me better at the job I do for my kids and, and for a son in particular. So related to that, Brad, how are you the same or different from your dad in terms of how your dad was with you? Like yeah. when, when it comes to your parenting style. Yeah. So my dad was very sort of all American. I think he was like a high school and college wrestling champion. And he was wired from day one in having two boys that we were going to be pushed really, you know, strongly into athletics. We were going to be good at it. We were going to do it no matter what. He was going to be the, the coach of our soccer team, our t-ball teams. And I think he struggled with me a little bit to figure out where I fit into that because I wasn't a gifted athlete from day one. He'd coach the soccer team and would make the difficult decision to sideline me because I was the worst on the team. And that was hard. As a kid, you feel like you want to impress your father. And when you're not doing that, it hits a kid really hard. By the time I was around five or six, I I did ultimately sort of find my, my footing in terms of athletics and I became a swimmer and I was good at it. And I was good at it in a way that despite my brother being a natural and, and more gifted athlete, I was better at my you know chosen sport than he was at the 15 different sports that he did really well. And it weirdly evolved my relationship with my dad. It was suddenly like we had something to connect on a different level. He was proud to be at my swim meets and see me win. And as I grew up, I clung to that probably in a way that I hope 
my daughter and my son feel like they don't have to do, right? That they don't have to cling to the thing that that binds us together. And I think mm-hmm. if, if I talk to my dad about it now, I think he would probably say the same thing. Like, it was great to have a thing to bond about, but it wasn't necessary. And I should have known that it wasn't necessary and that there was more to our relationship. So I yeah. think w- what I do now is take a very, very different approach. I try and connect with my daughter on all the things that she's interested in. She is not a physical kid. And in fact, she had some sort of physical dif- difficulties when she was a little bit younger. So it really forced us to think about what are the things we bond about. She wouldn't swim. I couldn't get her in a pool. And it was the one thing that was the the closest to my heart and she just wouldn't do it. And I had to be okay with that. And so we have to find our way in some, some other avenues. And I, I, I really do credit my, my dad with that because even though I seized on the one thing that I felt like we could bond over, I don't think he did. He really always did look for those opportunities to connect. I just, I, I just pushed it away. That's great. And you, Serge, how would you say you're the same or different from your dad or or how your dad parented you? I mean, it's a high standard. So, like, I mean, there's so many moments. Like, he used to drive to Staten Island to watch me play football. He worked like a dog. Like, I remember he got stabbed on two train and to come back from work. He was back at work the next day. I remember he came home all bloodied up that way. Like, like as, as a man, you realize that, like, he could have been working on a ship in Alaska. Like, at a certain point, yeah. like, I was, like, 22 or whatever, like, I was like, holy cow, like, I could really be a rebel without a cause. Like, I could buy a motorcycle, ride west, fuck anything that moved. I could really do that, right? At some point, as a man, sometimes, you might come to that conclusion. I did. Right. And it wasn't long when I started looking at my dad differently, directly after that realization. When that epiphany came, I'm like, wow, he stayed in hard. <laughs> like he stayed in the pocket. Right. So, so like I, and, and now like I'm someone with like a lot of options in the way that I've chosen to live my life and the way that God has blessed it. I'm like, wow, like what is it that you gain from going where the suffering is? What is it that you gain by taking on a large uh, amount of a responsibility? And, and, and how does that affect your personal development and development of your society and the people around you? Right? I, I don't know if his decisions were that nuanced. He may have been just kind of operating on societal, Judeo-Catholic habits, yeah. Right. However, I mean, knowing your dad, I think he was just like, okay, it's nine o'clock. I've got to be at work again. No, duty, <laughs> duty, duty. Right? Yeah, sense of that's duty. Bullshit. That's yeah. bullshit. That's what women think. Women think yeah. that, like, wow, he's strong. <laughs> he just does it. No, when I used to bench one twenty five, it was fucking hard. And now that I bench three twenty five, it's one twenty five, still fucking hard. Yeah. Think, sometimes being a man about getting up and do the thing, it's not because we just do it. It's a decision every time. Every time. Right. So much about what all this red pill stuff that you're seeing in the media is about men real, uh, making the, the counterculture choice. They're choosing outside and doing things that are dangerous, doing things that, that, that are predatorial. So yeah. like, we, we have to sit down and realize, and what, to circle back to your question, more than anything, like my dad, like I howled myself to the standard of taking the, the road less traveled, like doing what I consider to be right. Like, he, I mean, I never even saw my dad in 20 years, like, look at another woman. Now, that ain't me, 
right? But like, I know now that he did that for me to let me know that he had an idea about what virtue and value were. And I was responsible not only find my own, but to cleave to it. And Raman, how are you the same or different from your dad? Well, I like this idea of like, we have to own our choices. My dad, his dad died in his early 20s. And every fiber of his being said, stay home, take care of my family, take care of my mother, take care of my brothers who are sick. And at the same time, he told me the story later on, you uncover all these things later on. He he had this opportunity to to leave India for a better life in Canada. And when his, and he was about to do it, he had the, the visa, the job lined up, and then his dad died. And he didn't want to leave. And his mom was like, you have to go. Like, this is a better life. Go. And he left everything, like literally a suitcase and a thing of blueprints. And my dad was gone. And that caused a lot of schisms in the family to this day with India. He's the one that left. And I can't. And then he started a young, got his, got a job, got a degree, went back, met a girl. That's my mom, moved us to Alabama of all places, which not the easiest place for a brown man in the 60s and 70s. And so I guess the choices, like he made some really hard heart-wrenching choices that he still grapples with the consequences of today. And so I think about that more now because, well, sure, everything's relative, all of our struggles and choices we make. But like anytime like I get even the smallest amount of anxiety, whether it be fatherhood or career, I think about like what he did in his 20s. And what he did, even what he did is in his 30s, and now as a man in my 40s, and I'm just like, okay, I can do this. Like, it's it's fine. Like, it's these are not hard things to do. There are harder things to be done that will be done. I just think a lot about it. Like, as a child of immigrants, I think we have it easy. Like, I, I do. Like, I just like, we got the internet. I speak the language. I don't have an accent. The world is more woke. And the world is kind of our oyster. And we as children, like, sit on the backs of our what our parents not just did for us, but the opportunities they opened up for us directly and indirectly. And I think, I just think so much about that more as a father. And I think my daughter is going to have even more choice and opportunity. And to kind of what Brad was saying earlier, she better not be an asshole. Like I will not allow that. Like it's, we are not allowed to be because of all the stuff that came before. And it really frustrates me when I meet adults who are assholes because I'm like, come on. Really? Like, come on. I mean, I don't know where they came from, but it's like every generation before us has done these things. So it's kind of, I got a little more meta, but like, I I think I probably think too much about this and my dad never thought about it. Maybe he did make those choices every day, but he didn't show that to me. And it's it seemed more effortless or this kind of dharmic duty that he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you and I have joked about it a lot. Like our kids are ordering things off of Amazon. Their realities are so different from, from what mine was as a, as a daughter of, I guess my mom was an immigrant. My dad was born here, but it is true that with every generation that is in this country, they're, they're starting off with a leg up. I think Serge and I call it starting at the finish line. I mean, sorry, winning at the starting line. Wow. Um, That's good. That's good. So they're starting off already having won the last race that our, the generation before us had was was running and it's an interesting it's just interesting to watch them flourish in that way yeah man my kids are top notch they're overpowered you know what i'm saying <laughs> like, <they're, yeah. laughs> the, the older one is a couple months out of a black belt in taekwondo 
like the the the, the he's he's nine he's nine he's like a really gifted artist like he just was the first person in his class to win star of the week twice so now he's like a vip so he's got this lanyard because we're in this, <laughs> this super liberal super expensive like a Beverly Hills ish uh, uh, private school, so they and he's it's the elitist liberal, elitist liberal. So strange, bro. Like yeah, they're like foreign like, aliens to us. Oh I don't know who these people God. are. Yo, dude. Like every morning, the the pickup and drop off line is a car show, Lamborghini truck, Bentley truck. It's a it's dude, and of course it's me. And I got out on the car. I sometimes I'll rock a tank top and, and flex on them because again, black dad, right, right. Sometimes I come <laughs> I come three piece suit because again, black dad, right. And like I mean, like dude, and and so and my father in law was there the last couple of days, so we would pull up. I mean, so I saw people. This is interesting, right? I saw people, and I felt like maybe they thought that like. Me and Mr. Lee were pe- partnered sometimes. Interesting. Like, you know, I, particularly the first day, right? Right. I pull up like three piece suit, like, you know, dripping, right? Right. And then Mr. Lee jumps out and sweats and we both kiss the kids goodbye. And I'm like, holy shit, this is dope. <laughs> like, oh, shit. like well, they don't know shit about me. So, like, see, it's all one family. And I'm the nanny. Yeah, you do, <laughs> What would you say your kids have learned from you? Three Tony rules. Number one, no jankiness. No jankiness. You, you, everything you do has to reflect the cleanliness that is God, that, 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 that is divine, right? You've got to be clean. you got to be sharp. Rule number two, no whining ever, ever, ever. You get whining gets you nothing, don't whine. Do something about it. Express yourself in a way that actually brings your needs and, and wants to the fore in a way that other people can help you with them, but don't whine. And rule number three, don't take no shit. Brad, what do you, what would you say your kids have learned from you? Yeah. Well, the, the one is just starting to learn. So we'll put a bookmark <laughs> in the two, two month old. Right. Um, my eight year old, I, I hope is learning patience She's eight. She goes to a school that's really challenging and it asks a lot of her. And so I think patience is key and working through your emotional and social difficulties calmly is something that I've always practiced myself. And she knows that about me. So I I hope that she's taken that. It's, I could go down a road with this, but at, at the age that my daughter is at, we're rapidly approaching girl on girl bullying and it's just only going to ratchet up the stress levels for her. So if she's learned anything from me, it's calmly approaching conflict, which I know is a luxury to be able to approach it calmly. But I, I do think she's learned that from me. Yeah. And Remen, how about you? It's kind of the show don't tell is something I'm observing and how she learns. Like I can say all the things, but if I don't do the things, if I don't show She's mirroring that behavior. She's observing how mom and dad operate, not just with her, with each other, increasingly less with the outside world, because while she does go to daycare, we don't interact with other people as much in front of her. She sees me talking in front of a mic a lot that, you know, Sharon, Miss Sharon is hiding behind the microphone. I think she, the one thing based on the stories we tell her, though, is that the world is a really, really big place. And it is bigger than her. It is bigger than me. It is bigger than her mom. It's bigger than this, this little house we live in. And that we think a lot about other people, be it Japon Gungung, Grandma and Dadaji, 
even conversations about India and China more recently, somehow we got into this conversation about Taiwan because one of our like bubble friends is from Taiwan. And what happened there? What's going on there? Why is that an issue? She wants to know. She treats it just like a story, like the books we read her or the comic books she's starting to read. But I think because of the things she hears from mom and dad, I think she's realizing this is a very big, 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 complicated world. It's not as black and white as she wants it to be. And, and I think the next thing we have to figure out is like, okay, well, how are you going to face that world? And and the learning is like, okay, I can't tell you. I, I have to show you. Right. And she's also at an age where I think justice is really important because yeah, yeah, she awesome. just turned five. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I know from my own boys at five, it was... They were very aware of what was right and what was wrong, but then the nuances between that too. So it's, it's an interesting time in the world for her to be turning this age because I think those questions aren't so easily answered anymore. Are there? I'm kind of curious. Are there are there questions that any of your kids ask that you will not answer yet, or do you? <sighs> oh man, we made a choice early on that we would always answer her honestly. And we've got, it's gotten us into trouble. I'm not going to say some of this, but it's like, because Uncle Corey is black. Our old neighbors, Lauren and Kat, are both women and, we, and who have who have a child, baby Miles. And, and we talk about, like, we have to talk about these things. Donald Trump and Joe Biden, like, these are celebrities in her world because mm-hmm. you can't avoid them. Yeah. And why don't people like this guy? Well, he's mean. Why? Like, we always respect the why and answer the question. But now the trick I've learned from smarter, better parents than me is don't just answer the why, ask her what she thinks, and then have a discussion about her answer. Let her come to a conclusion because otherwise she's going to think, well, people in authority are the only ones who can give you the answer. Mm -hmm. Right. For us, she's very keen to talk about what's happening in the world. And so we've never really avoided that. And then the other sort of <laughs> difficult conversations are around sex positivity, which is, believe it or not, already starting. And, and we're a very sex positive oh. house. And so we want yeah, to be yeah. honest and forthright about anatomy and what she's got and what the boys have. The one area that we've still yet to figure out is how to sort of fully and completely talk about her origin story, because mm-hmm. we've answered the questions, but there are you know, for for an eight year old, she she knows more about the process of IVF and what it takes to make a baby than other kids her age who are told various you know levels of detail from their own families, ranging from God put you in my belly to yeah brought you exactly exactly. <laughs> so she knows and she understands that she was created in in a laboratory. But the minutia of that is something that we've frankly struggled with. And we talked to a lot of other parents who've gone through this and, and sought counsel from them. And everyone has a different story and a different dirt journey on it. Serge, what would you say? I feel like in our house, not a lot of things are off limits, but our kids also haven't asked any questions that I've struggled with answering either. And I think my older one will start. I mean, he just turned nine, so... Things like sex positivity, like we're pretty open about that. They're on TikTok, they're they're on YouTube. They're actually hearing things that are probably above their age level, but when they bring it to us, we just talk openly about it. So no, I I personally haven't experienced that, but Serge, have they asked you any questions where you've had to second guess? I don't lie to anybody. Yeah. How old they are. So so like I find I find, you know, creative ways to communicate things to people of their level of maturity in a way that they can actually use the information to better their lives. I mean, 
There's that. That's the first thing. And there, the, the questions that do come are more about why I stand where I stand, why the family stands where it stands. That's really the questions that are most difficult for me to answer because they're value judgments. On the one hand, I feel that my values define me as they would any strong person, right? But on the other, and I want to communicate that to them. On the other hand, I want them to come to the most independent value assessments from their place in the world. So there's a give and take. Here's a perfect example. Right, so Cardi B drops WAP, right? That's not a song that I would play in my house. It's not really a song I play in a car. I'm not a big Cardi B fan, right? But like that being said, that song was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. And and like so the kids in their YouTube travels came across this song, right? So there was a period of twerking that was happening in the house for one of my <laughs> There was. There was some twerking going on here. I'm sitting where I sit. Being spending all that training and years on the stage, like being in more than a few productions, being like the only straight man on the cast, like having so many gay colleagues, right? Like I'm looking at this behavior. I'm like, all right, where do I stand? What does it mean? Now, one thing my father did not give me is a broad understanding of sexuality or the ability to communicate that to a child. That's not what he got. That's what we gave, right? That uh, that had to come from my own journey and my own travels, right? So uh, first question is, well, how do I feel about it? I don't dig twerking. Don't like it. Don't like twerking. I'm not a pro twerking person, right? So I was like, Solomon, come here. We don't twerk in this house. <laughs> in the same way that that that, that, uh, that uh, Chadwick in Black Panther, when they when uh, the white man tried to bow, Chadwick was like, "We do not do that here." You know, <laughs> like there are a lot of things we do we don't do. There's no twerking in the house. He was like, "Okay," and and he continued to twerk here and there. <laughs> it just stopped. So whatever, who knows what all that means? I get at your leader because I am a good dad and it was a good job. Uh, I, I like the musical standards of just no Cardi B. Let's, no let's just go with that. No right. And so I've asked myself often, now if I had a daughter, how would I feel? I feel uh, like I would have said the same fucking thing. Yeah, <laughs> no twerking in the house. No twerking. Oh, Sharon twerks, no. I do not. I do not twerk, you guys. Lies. <laughs> but like music is a big thing in my life. And I'm a rock guy, classic rock guy, new rock, alternative, new wave, blah, blah, blah. And so I play a lot in the car and my daughter's been gravitating to girl rock. So I got out the hard drive. I made like a USB of just like all like, be it the cardigans, be it. Oh my the God. Why would you do that, No, no, no. Hear me out. Hear me out. And it's, and there's, there's some blondie on there. Like, it's just, point is, we were playing something and it was Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Are Made for Walking. And it's a weird song. It's a good song, but it's a weird song. And my daughter's singing it and she's getting to know the lyrics of it. And I'm like, ooh, okay, we got to talk about why this song is or isn't okay. And I find myself now that she's interpreting and processing not just music and catchy hooks and beats, but like the lyrics, I 
like, okay, I guess we, what does that mean? Oh, why would they say that? Oh, okay. Let's, let's have a conversation. Can we just, let's play some Weezer now. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> tell, tell me, uh, tell me what's, how you feel about the lyrics of that song though. These boots are made for walking or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, I like on the surface, we all think that's a very empowering song it, and it is, but the opening part of the story about how she's allowing herself to be walked on by the man is that's what she was asking questions about. The chorus is dope, man. These boots are made right. for walking. That's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are going to walk all over you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's the, mature, it's the maturity song. Yeah. That's that song. Yeah. I got you. I got you. Yeah. But yeah. to be very clear, and this is me as a wannabe Buddhist, that's kind of like an eye for an eye shit as well. Like, like I don't know if I feel about like, okay, now I'm going to walk all over you because you walked all over me. And and never mind the earlier parts of the story and the narrative of the song. But like, I, I don't know. I'm not going to hide music from her. I, yeah. I'd rather have a conversation I, I, I about think, it. I think you, you might have ruined her. That song. <laughs> she's gonna be the old person now yeah, yeah, you did it you, it's over nice job oh, yeah the best the best song i love that she loves blondie one way or another oh man the fact that she loves that song is what violent film are you raising <laughs> what are you doing right now serge my daughter she's got a we're, we're starting kung fu lessons soon it's happening yeah exactly. See, I had this whole kung, fu, kung fu lessons and no twerking marry your daughter and now i'm worried for their safety my, my, my <laughs> daughter's gonna beat up my, my daughter's gonna team up with brad's daughter and just like come on man and take some ass yeah perfect what are your favorite or your or, or your own best dad jokes oh this is good Hmm. I'm sure you guys make dad jokes all the time, right, guys? <laughs> this, is a, this is a delicate area, man. Yeah. <laughs> this is a delicate area. The dad joke. Let's, you can't let's, just ask artists to, to perform on command, that. But the point is that the dad joke is the context. Like how you tell a dad joke, what, what joke you tell to whom and when is everything about your father. Like, do you tell about like, your own father for, about your fatherhood, how you see it? Oh. Like, cause like you, or your dad comes over and tells the same joke he's been telling for the last 45 years. It's who he is. It's like, literally it, it's, it's DNA. So like when you ask the men, just blurt one out, like we telling us that's our underwear. <laughs> so I, 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 I nominate Roman to go first. No, it's, it's tell a bad joke. I'm I'm pretty puntastic with it. No man, it hits you. It hits you in the moment. Like if we're talking about bears. Hey, honey, which bear's the most condescending? Panda. Like you just oh, it hits wow. it. It wow. hits you in the moment. That was great. That was really good. I, I give that an eight point six. That's a, but the the cringier the cr- the most the cringier it makes your child and your spouse feel, the better. Yeah. I feel like I just have such a natural aversion to puns, and my Ooh. husband has definitely oh, inherited it from his, his, his father. Oh man, there's a, does he punish? Goodness, there's oh, goodness. a there's like an exit off the New York State Thruway for like some. It's like the Helen Kellen Helen Keller Center for Restorative Vision or something like that. And every time we drive past, my my husband says, oh, "It's out of sight." And it's, <laughs> so, 
it's so cringy and my daughter now cringes too and it's it's and by the way it's not his joke he got it from his dad okay. but the only way to defend against a dad joke to like quell the behavior is you can't react if you cringe we know I we know. got it yeah that's you've true won. you've won you, can, you, can, you can't let us know you can't let us know i uh, i pulled up at the shishi fufu private school this morning right and so there's this guy right and he is a gym teacher at the Shishi Fufu private school, right? And he seems like a nice enough guy. But like, it's, so when I pulled up the first time, like he was like a little bit confused by me. And then there were a little of these like, oh, what kind of black guy are you questions? But we got past that. We're friends now, I guess. I set some boundaries, right? <laughs> but like I pull, when I pull up today with my father-in-law in tow, and he stops my car. Right to tell me a dad joke. To and what was oh it? wow! Right, and he said he phrased it. He somehow he, he made it a test. He was like, "What's longer, the distance between first base and second, or second and third? And I got my kids in the car, and I'm being stopped like a cop. Of course, I had the safety of a theory suit and gray and blue, and that always helps, right? Right. But I was like, "They're they're the same, bro." <laughs> Between second and third, there's a short stop. I was like, ah! Oh, my God. I just love the idea that he had that percolating in his head, and he was just desperate to share it. Yeah. Black guy, I'm going to tell him a joke today. That's that's how he woke up, and I'm glad to share the love. But but I couldn't let him win, right? So I, I was like, hold up, hold up. Cause like literally this, this like, so we're in Hollywood, right? So I figured I'd go Disney and I was like, Mickey and Minnie are getting a divorce. And he was like, what? And I said, they're getting a divorce. They were in divorce court and the judge like, oh, Mr. Mouse, I hear you're filing for divorce because your wife is insane. And Mickey goes, I didn't say she was crazy. I said she was fucking goofy. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, and, and my nine-year-old laughed and laughed. <laughs> like I said, nothing's off limits in the Tony household. <laughs> I may take that one. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm, that's, I'm a good one. that's a good one. It is a good one. So now that you guys have been doing this for a couple years, what's a piece of advice you'd give to your pre-dad version of yourself? It's okay to have a cocktail every day. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. How about you, Roman? Talk less. Yeah, just observe. It's it's easy to, I want to bring my normal personality into being a dad, but you got to think of, it's not just about you anymore. And I, I continue to learn those lessons every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Serge? Oh, uh, more sex. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay, let me, let me hear me out. Like I, I was talking to um, one of my mentors, and he made it clear to me that like most of the teaching that we do as parents is energetic. Like I think you mentioned it earlier, I mean, it's like what you, what they see you do. So that, like you said, talk less. And so the stuff that you aren't saying and you aren't even realizing you're communicating energetically is what they get the most of. It's the energy they're steeped in for decades. You know what I'm saying? So like if you're in a place like with your partner, right? Like you're unfulfilled. You're negotiating for sex. You're resentful about intimacy. You're lacking in intimacy. You're not giving enough intimacy. You're lording sex over your partner. All these things create an energy, 
right? And like when I wasn't like right in that place, like feeling that my expectations were being met and my, or were being reasonable and, and being met, then like I was living in a, like a, a disturbance that the kids pick up on. The boys yeah. pick up on like, it, and that's something that was, it's a very nuanced thing that like most people never come to. Right. But when I, I put that one in, like, and like I could tell their confidence shift because my energy shifts sitting it from a place of satisfaction and fulfillment in that very unique and personal way, secret way, dark way. You know what I mean? Right. And so like, I would have told, and that's something that I had always like really invested in before I was with Sharon to be like at my fullest in. I was like, like, that's where, that's where I, that's how I entered the world from that place. And like, when I turned into my dad, as we all do, right. Like, like you know, like at a certain point, I, I thought that like, there are more important things than like that basic level of, identity level satisfaction and it's not true like you gotta sit confidently in that place whatever that means or else it's it's gonna cause problems down the way the author no 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 <laughs> counter not it's, it's not a counterpoint it's this author really dig her name's jumpa lahiri she talked about in one of her books how the energy though in a family shifts around especially the energy of love right there's intimate fulfillment from your partner right that leads to kids that's what kids are made sometimes and right sometimes just sometimes sometimes yeah i said that for you brad (laughs) (laughs) knowing but but even like the desire to build a family comes from the intimacy that first is fulfilled through sexual desire but then later on through well i want to be with you i want to tell bad jokes with you i want to have a life with you right but there's a transference of where the love goes. Like we're in this mode of our life where it, believe it or not, for us at least, it's, again, every every family is their own, right? So no judgment on anyone else's kind of approach, but it's like our energy, our everything is as a family now, and we got to spread the love. Right. And so some of that means I sleep less. I watch less TV. I do a lot less of the things I always wanted to do, but at the same time, I do a lot more of other things. That's crazy. Right? So, that's crazy. That's that scarcity mentality. If you can't do it all, then why even get up? And we can agree to disagree, brother. Like it's okay. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm, there's no disagreement. Like like you, you but your argument is that like one has to sacrifice sacrifice for the other. And I, and that's not true. That's or could- narrative, but that that's definitely not in, independently true. Could it be that it's just that satisfaction comes from a different, different yep. source, right? So, I mean, I know, like, I'm not a dad, but as a woman yeah. and as a mom, before I had children, I always knew that I wanted to have children. And when I had my first child, it was so fulfilling in so, like, in such a deep, deep, visceral way. And having a second child also for, provided that to me. And it's one of those, we've, Serge and I have been kind of thinking like, do we want to add on one more? Like we've been getting asked this where when our kids are a little bit older, but it, it is this question of like, is there room for another in the family? Is energetically, does it feel like we are complete or is there something else? And I think that's what we're talking about here. Like when you're single and you're meeting people and you're exploring that energy with each other, you're, you're creating something then, but after you expand into a familial unit, some of that satisfaction just comes from, no, from elsewhere. No, that's not what I was saying. You just like, <laughs> to re-articulate what I was saying. What I'm saying is like a uniquely a sexual conversation. 
Like we're talking about a very specific, yeah, of course, there are lots of ways to be satisfied. And there's lots of ways to read fulfillment. But that's not what I was talking about. What I was talking about is like being satisfied in that particular way. But there's a bunch of chakras and they all need to be balanced. This chakra right. is one that this, first of all, it's it's root chakra, base chakra. So it's where it all begins, so to speak. All right. So, and two, like in America, like so much of the way that we interact come from imbalances of in that area. You know what I mean? Right. And the generational curses we're passing on to our kids because they don't balance out that area. That's what I'm talking about. I don't think that we're questioning like how a family unit operates in the context of love, questioning about how someone who stands on his identity intimately, personally, emotionally, sexually with balance and confidence communicates that to his child as opposed to the opposite. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It's, it's a sex thing. It's a, it's a sex thing. That's how babies are made most of the time. Most, most of the time. Of the time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So this has been so much fun. We're going to move you guys into speed round. Are you guys ready for speed round? Born ready. Yeah. Born ready. What's the most unique or embarrassing thing you've done as a dad? Chewbacca costume for Halloween, five years straight. Going for number six. Five years straight. Oh. Yeah, we've we've got we go super elaborate for Halloween every year, gay Christmas. <laughs> Last year she wanted to go as Carol Channing from Hello Dolly, and we allowed that and dressed up like waiters in tuxedos. I did I did a, a band-aid commercial and like I've been doing commercials for like decades until the point where I couldn't look at myself anymore. <laughs> so 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 but like the agent called and was like, hey, do you got you got a six year old, right? I was like, oh here we go. So of course we booked a commercial. So I did a band-aid commercial where I pretended to do push-ups with my kid on my back and then I got a scratch and the kid fell off and band-aid fixed it. It was so corny and I hate it. <laughs> Can we put the link to that commercial in the show yes, notes? We'll, we'll put that I'll in the show notes. It. It's pretty yeah, it's really cute. What famous dad would you guys want to have on a podcast? Ooh. Ramen Segel. Oh, he's famous. He's famous. Flattery. Flattery will get you everywhere, my friend. I, I would say George Clooney. Yeah. I, so I, I can't place it, but I was watching TV one night and there was this like Band-Aid commercial with this dad. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. That guy. That guy. Right, oh, real answer. Real answer. Right now. Right now, yeah. Yeah, either yeah. both Dwayne Wade and Will Smith. One, because Will Smith has that whole coven in his house. I don't know what they're doing, right? <laughs> right? Like, what is going on with Will? Like, you know, R&B singers are coming in and sleeping with his wife. He's gaining Okay, Will. okay. Right? So what is that like? Or, or, or like Dwayne Wade. Because, like, so his daughter is transgendered. Right. And they're like celebrities in the black community have come out like loud and clear saying that's inappropriate. You're a bad dad for letting that happen. Right. Interesting. Right. And I and as a black man, I can only imagine if like Jay-Z is like, yo, Serge, you're wrong. I'd be like, what are you talking about, Jay? I listen to your music. So like it, I, for someone that famous, like to have such an interesting challenge as a parent. And then make the choice of love, right? He did. He went that way, right? And then have like his contemporaries come out and like try to kick dirt on him. That's crazy. I'd love to talk to those guys. I, I, I'll get a real answer too. Along similar lines, Rivers Cuomo, frontman for mm -hmm. Weezer. 
professional rock star, drops an album every year or so, consistent musician's musician. But at the same time, like he's really walled off his family life. He has an amazing family life. You're not going to know about it, but he's a father to two children. And that's a part of his life that's equally as defining as the thing that puts food on the table or that artistically fulfills him. And it's, it's kind of one of those things, Sharon, like where if we did bring him on this podcast, right? I'd want to talk about fatherhood, not about being a rock star with him yeah. and, and the balance on that. Mm. Yeah. Here's a really good one. We, we always ask our guests what their favorite mom dish is, but since this is a dad episode, I'm going to ask you guys, what's your favorite dad dish? What's something that dad made for you growing up? that you remember. My dad makes excellent matzo brai. <laughs> That's great. My dad makes one one meal, Haitian rice and beans. And whenever he thought he was going to be like a magnanimous figure in the household, like he'd do my mom a salad, he'd cook his rice and beans. They were soggy. I hated those rice and beans. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Roman? Uh, it's funny. My, when my mom cooks, my dad comes in and helps and finishes up because he thinks he knows how to make it taste better. So I can't give my dad credit for a lot of dad dishes, but this is a little sappy. But one thing, like distinct memory I have, I don't. I must have been under 10. There was a solid two years where he wanted my mom to get her master's and she wanted to in teaching. And my dad picked us up from school, helped us with our homework, did all the cooking, like Dad, dad took care of dinner while mom was at night school for a solid couple of years. I don't know half the stuff I ate, but I, I think about that a lot. Like, just like, all right, dad took ownership of the traditional mom thing in the 80s. So that was yeah. pretty legit. That's a legit partnership. Last question, you guys. What does being a modern minority dad mean for you? It means reinforcing the stereotypes that I like. examples please yes please be specific everything from being so interesting everything being an elite like if you stay out of jail long enough as a black man all of a sudden you're bill you're bill cosby pre 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 bill cosby oh oh you must are you related to obama why yes yes i am i mean like that so I, i dig that like right i dig the whole bbc thing like I dig it. I, I oh, like God. like my reputation preceding me I like that. Right, right, right. And 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 I think that's it. You asked. Um, I'm married to this guy. I'm married to this guy. <laughs> How about you, Brad? You know what? No parent shaming. That's what it means to me. I, I think it's so important, and 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 maybe it's the proliferation of social media. But my pages are filled with people showing how healthier their kid is and how smarter their kid is. And it's triggering for so many people. And I think in the position I'm in as a same-sex parent, two great kids, like I, I could make people feel really crappy, right? Like we're, we're doing a pretty good job. We're balancing two jobs, two kids and nailing it. And, and I just, I would never do it. So I think no more parent shaming. And Roman, how about you? It comes with something you guys were talking about earlier. It's choices. Every day is a choice. And sometimes they're hard choices. I'd rather choose the the harder right over the easier wrong because it matters more now because these these little ones are looking at us. And 20 years from now, they're going to be 
getting their own therapy on a podcast talking about this. So <laughs> we better set a good example in this increasingly complicated world. It's not getting easier and the world they're going to inherit is going to get even more complicated. So the best we can do is give them a good foundation. I love that. You guys, I had so much fun. Thank you three for being here today. Brad, Serge, and Roman. Your kids have such great role models to look up to and so many dad jokes to laugh at. And I'm really glad that you shared your stories with us today. Happy Father's Day, you guys. Thanks so much. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, hi mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. Now, here's a preview of our next episode. My parents had music parties in the house growing up. I would listen to music through my mother's womb, and we used to have so many people in our house all the time. It's a very Indian thing, right? People would just turn up at your door. They don't even call. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it was great. It was very normal to have tons of people in our home, and people would bring their harmoniums and just come and sing and play. And actually, some of the great musicians would be in my home growing up. And so just music was all around me ever since I was young. It's just possible of the backdrop of life. That's it for now. I've been Raman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon.